It's great to be in 2021. Amen. I'm glad that we're here together to worship and magnify the name of the Lord. Thank you so much for being in church today. What an incredible worship time. Come on, let's let our worship team know we appreciate them. It was an incredible time. Thank you, team, for taking us into the presence of the Lord today. Kathy and I want to say thank you to all of you that were so gracious and kind to us during Christmas time. I appreciate the uh, cards. I got a chance to sit down for well, an hour or two and read cards and letters that had been written to us. And they were such a blessing to see how the impact of ministry has been on people's lives and your kindness to give and sow and bring gifts. Uh, we, our hearts were overwhelmed. Thank you so much, and particularly in a year that's been extremely difficult. I know that people did that out of the, out of the graciousness of their hearts, and we love you and appreciate you for it. I want to say thank you. My wife's not here today. She's uh, had a little bit of a difficult head cold that settled in her ear, and she had a real bad earache this morning, so uh, she's at home. Believe, I'm believing that her ear will be healed. How many of you agree with me? Amen? In Jesus' name. I... Uh, I want to take, hold on just a minute, after I've, after I've turned everything upside down, put this up where I can see. I, uh, I want to take some time to begin a series of messages. We wrestled over what to call it, but one of the things we settled on is that in a world that wants to cancel everything, what is the things that we should be canceling? And one of them is we need to learn how to cancel the noise. I don't think there's ever been a time in our life that we've lived with more noise than we live with today. One of the great presents and gifts that Kathy gave me several years ago, you know, my life has been a life of travel. I've spent, I've spent over a year and a half of my life, if I flew 24 hours a day, I've spent a year and a half or almost a year and 10 months of my life in the air. So I'm really not as old as I am because I wasn't on the earth. I've flown six million miles in an airplane. And uh, that's a long time. Even at 450 miles an hour, it's a long time. And one of the things she gave me several years ago when they first came out was a Bose set of noise-canceling earphones. I don't even understand all the technology. I don't even know how it works. All I know is that I can put those earphones on and flip a switch. And when I do, everything in the plane, the plane noise, everything around me disappears. It's gone. Whatever I'm trying to focus on hearing becomes the only thing that I really hear. It's an incredible invention. It's actually a uh, an amazing device and I just want to say to people today that's in the, in the auditorium in person those of you that are online today I'm asking the Holy Spirit to give us noise canceling earphones so that we can hear the voice of the Lord I pray that my, my voice today is not just one of uh, something that may be familiar but maybe you'll hear the voice within the voice because if there's ever been a time that we need to hear the voice of the Lord, it's today. How many of you know if, if we're honest, it's easy to become drawn to the noise? I don't have any help, but 
In fact, I would dare say that we live in a culture that it's much more difficult for us to live with silence than it is for us to live with noise. We're much more comfortable with the noise than we are with quietness. I found myself with a habit, maybe some of you have the same habit. I, I charge my phone on my, my bed stand next to my, my bed. And I found myself in a habit that the last thing before I go to sleep at night is to check my phone. And because now I read digitally rather than buying books, and I'm an early morning reader, the first thing I pick up when I get up in the morning is my phone. And invariably it doesn't come up to the book I'm reading, invariably it comes up to all the news feeds and whatever text may have come during the night. And I'm thinking, I end my day with a device, I begin my day with a device, and then all throughout my day, I'm being interrupted with a device. Noise has great entrance into my life. And I, the other, the, just a few days ago, by intention, I moved my charger into the bathroom, put my phone away from me to where I couldn't reach it. And I thought, will I be able to go to sleep tonight? Come on, I'm just being honest. Somebody help me. And what if somebody needs me? And I'm thinking the bathroom is, it's only 20 feet away. <laughs> if the phone rings, I think I'll hear it. But it's the addiction to noise that really has consumed our lives. The prophet Isaiah said it this way. He said, in quietness and confidence, you'll have strength. The Old Testament psalmist wrote it this way. Be still and know that I'm God. There's something about bringing everything to a point of focusness where you shut out all the other stuff. I'm not going to ask you to identify yourself, but I wonder how many people here have ever come to a devotional time and you sat down to say, I'm going to spend 15 minutes reading my Bible or praying or whatever it was you was going to do. And in that moment, you became ADD you felt like you needed Ritalin. Come on, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Because your mind went everywhere except for what it is you wanted to do. Because the moment we decide to slow down, our mind keeps taking us in all kinds of journeys. But if you want to hear something, you have to be able to stop hearing other things. The Bible says, and I'll share more about this next week, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there are many voices that have gone out. In other words, there are voices that are crying for your attention every day. And Paul makes this, this point. He said, and none of them are without significance. In other words, every single voice that tries to get your attention believes its cause is the most important thing in the earth. It has something it wants to accomplish. And he said there are many of them. How many of you know that if you live through this week in America, you'll realize there are many voices 
that have gone out. And none are without significance. For the first time since the War of 1812, our capital was put in jeopardy this week. It's never been done. Even during the Civil War, the capital was never penetrated. And the issue to me is not who's right and who's wrong. The issue is we're living in troubled times. And there's a lot of noise. There's, there's talk everywhere. You turn your medias on. Doesn't matter if it's your radio, your television, your social media. And everything that comes up on your feeds is about whether you're on the left or on the right. Socialism is about to take over. Fascism is about to ruin the, uh, the nation. White supremacy is on the rise. BLM needs to have a place. Now there's all this talk of Christian nationalism. In fact, this week I've been invited to be on a a national program to speak to what do we really believe about Christian nationalism. All of it's noise. It's noise. Most of what we live and experience today was not a far part of the first century church. There were no democratic societies in the first century. When the Bible was written, uh, they did not think about America. But I believe we have a Bible because it teaches us how to respond to days like 2021. I don't believe the Bible is irrelevant. I actually believe it speaks to our day. And to speak to our day, Jesus said over and over these words in the New Testament. He said, him that has ears to hear, let him. Come on, talk to me. Him who has ears to hear, let him let him hear. In other words, it must be possible to have an ear that has capacity and it not be functional. The book of Proverbs says the seeing eye and the hearing ear, God has created them both. There are eyes that look but don't see. There are eyes that register audible sounds but don't hear. In fact, an illustration of that in the Bible is that on the day that Paul, on his way to Damascus, had a bright light shine out of heaven and heard the voice of the Lord speak directly to him, there were many people traveling with him that day. And the Bible says Paul fell to the ground and heard the voice of the Lord, and he said directly back to God because he heard God speak to him. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who are you? But the Bible says that everybody with him, watch this, everybody with him heard a noise but didn't understand what was being said. It was unintelligible to them. It's possible to be in a place where sound is going forth and you not be able to decipher what's being said. So I believe what God's saying to us at the gate church what he's saying to all of us that are part of this church family is I want to teach you how to have ears to hear I want to teach you how to have ears to hear several years ago many many it's been 15 years ago now there's a guy that is very well known in America and uh, he, he's become once again visible 
in the media because of a controversy with his church in California. His name is Dr. John MacArthur. I was sitting on an airplane leaving Dallas, Texas, excuse me, leaving Jacksonville, Florida, headed to Dallas, Texas. And they held the plane for somebody. I was sitting in seat 1A and we kept holding the plane. I knew somebody was coming to sit in the only seat left open that was next to me. And the guy gets on the plane and when he sits down, I go, I know who this guy is, but I can't think of who he is. He takes his jacket off, sits down, white-haired, very distinguished. He sits down, and I'm, I'm, we get up in the air, and he takes out a file, and on the file is the name of something I thought, that looks like the title of a book. Put it on my account. And I'm thinking, that's got to be about Philemon. And I don't know. I still don't know who the guy is. I couldn't remember. So I leaned over after we got in the air, and I said to him, I said, are you a writer? And uh, he said, yes, I am. And um, I said, well, he said, are you? And I said, well, I've, I've written a couple books, but I wouldn't say I'm an author. I said, my name's Tony. And he said, my name's John MacArthur. And I thought, I know who you are. So then I told him, I said, I read your book, Charismatic Chaos, which he wrote as a fundamental Baptist against speaking in tongues. And he found out I was a Pentecostal preacher and he said why would you read my book about that and I laughed and I said well because you're a pretty brilliant man and I couldn't figure out how a guy could get the whole rest of the Bible so right and get three chapters in the Bible so wrong <laughs> and he started laughing and we carried on a two-hour conversation and in that conversation because he's he's well in his 80s today and in that conversation, I said to him, I said, if you would say anything to young leaders in America, young pastors in America, or to the American church, what would you say, having spent almost 60 years now in ministry? And he said, my prayer for the church in America and my prayer for young leaders is that they would once again regain a sense of discernment because discernment's gone out the window. The ability to discern how I many of you know Hebrews chapter 5 says that you have your senses trained to discern? In other words, you don't automatically sometimes know things are God or not God. You have to train your senses to be able to discern. Because there's some things that sound so right to you as a person, but are so contrary to God's ways. And in the next few weeks, I hope we talk about how do I learn to hear so I can discern? Am I doing okay? We begin every year, usually in January, with a time of prayer. And it's not because we believe January is the only month you should pray. I'm waiting on you. Come on. It's not like you pray in January and then you got it covered till Christmas. No, it's, we begin in January sort of to recalibrate our lives. We come back to a place of saying God first. I mean, you know, anything you put first can add a blessing to anything that comes after it. That's the reason when you give God the first part of your day, the rest of your day can be blessed. When you give God the first of your increase, then everything you have left can be blessed. Because if the root be holy, the whole tree be holy. 
So we just take time in January to give God attention and to call people to a place of prayer, to corporateness in prayer. Because this house has been built on the presence of God. This house has not been built on talent. If it was going to be built on talent, God would have had to been sending somebody else here to be the pastor. But he's built it on his presence. It's on his power. It's been built on prayer. How many of you know that a lot more happens Monday to Saturday than happens on Sunday? And it's the prayer focus and the presence of God that literally has shaped this house. And we are a people of his presence and we won't compromise that. We, won't, we will never stop being a place that calls people to prayer. And let me just say this for everybody that may not realize it. How many of you know prayer is not for a few people who feel gifted? We say, well, that's the intercessor's responsibility there. No, no, no. Prayer is everybody. It's everybody. I mean, when we pray over our meals as families, how I many of you know we don't say, okay, I'll bow my head, the rest of you eat while I pray because I'm the assigned intercessor to bless the meal. No, that's not how that works. We all give thanks. How I many of you know we as a church, we all pray. We pray together. So as I begin to teach over the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about prayer, but really more about connecting with God. And in the process of that, I'm not going to teach prayer as you think. Because here's what happens. Listen to me closely. Here's what happens. Most of the time when you hear a message on prayer, you think, I need to pray more. I need to pray more. And so then we set out to figure out how to pray more. I'm not telling you not to pray more. I'm going to talk to you about why just prayer for prayer's sake is not effective. Because the reality is the world's full of prayer. Hindus pray three times a day. Muslims pray five times a day. I've been on flights that were 17 hours long and watched as Jewish and Muslim people ask permission to get up and go stand in the place where stewards and, and flight attendants were passing out meals so they could put their prayer rug down or stand with their prayer shawl in order to go through their prayer times because it didn't matter that they were on a flight in the middle of the air with 300 people on a plane it was prayer time and they were going to pray how many of you know that Buddhists pray every day they bring special sacrifices to their little gods or idols in their house every day I get my hair cut at a place that the people that own it are Buddhist. And sometimes I've been the first person there, and, and they're still bringing out the oranges to set in front of the little Buddhist, Buddha. Because every day they pray. And every full moon they take an entire day or three days to pray. Even cultural Christians pray. There are people that pray that don't even know who they're praying to. An example, Congress prays. Amen and a woman. One of my network pastors actually sat on the plane yesterday with the man who prayed, Amen and a woman, the, the congressman. He sat on the plane with him. He sent me a text last night with a picture with him. 
And he said, only God could have done this. And he said, I sat down next to him and I said, man, I don't know what you were doing when you prayed this week in Congress. And finally the guy said to him, he said, I don't know what I was doing either. I really messed up. He said, yeah, you blew it forever. But my point is, every, the world's full of prayer. It's not that we have to necessarily find how can we pray more. But the issue is how do we connect with God so we can hear him? What are we hearing? What is God saying? The world is seeking for activists. They're looking for people to be activists for whatever cause they have. But how many of you know the church is looking for some activists? But the activists that the kingdom of God is looking for is not people who will just get in the streets and wave a flag. It's looking for people who will get in an altar and take their place as the intercessors of God and begin to lift their voice with one accord and say, I have come to see change in my family, in my life, in my city, and in my nation because I am going to be a person of prayer because when I pray, I hear. And when I hear, I can respond. Somebody ought to shout amen. One of the mentors in my life, Jack Hayford, said many years ago, he said, if you want to be current in the move of God, you say, I don't want to be, I want to be relevant. I want to be current. He said, here's what qualifies you to be current in the move of God. A listening heart. If you can hear God, you can be current. If you can't hear God, I don't care if you've got Bibles stacked as high as your ceiling. You will not be in step with what the Spirit of God is saying. Because the ability to be in step with God is predicated on our ability to hear God. And I'm challenging us today that many of us have got our lives so full of noise that we really can't hear the voice of God. The Bible said to many of us that we quote this scripture all the time, and I'll deal with it later on, when he said, there's a still small voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. We have to hear God. Don't miss this, because the kingdom of God is voice activated. I'm going to try that again. If you're taking notes, you ought to write that down. The kingdom of God is voice activated. It's voice activated by what you hear, and it's voice activated by what you say. Let me give you a very simple pattern. This pattern is all throughout the Bible, and this pattern will work in your life. Don't miss what I'm about to say. Here's what happens. We hear something so we can see something when you see something then you say something and when you say something then you can do something i'm going to try that one more time you hear something so you can see something a lot of people are trying to see something and never hear nothing words create pictures I'm going to try that one more time. Words create pictures. Huh? If I tell you not to think about a pink elephant, what just ran across your mind? 
a pink elephant. Why? Because words create pictures. How many of you know when you get in the presence of God, you just pray and you say, Father, I thank you today that I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. I thank you today that you're with me. I'm not alone. How many of you know that your mind begins to draw an image of the fact that you're not a victim any longer? You're not left out any longer. You're not alone any longer, but God is walking with you right in the middle of it. You hear something so you can see something. But once you see something, you have to say something. The word confession, everybody shout confession. The word confession means we say the same thing as. In other words, it's no use in me confessing something God's not saying. Because my confession is not going to change God into believing it. But how many of you know if God says... Tony, you're the healed of the Lord. Then I need to walk around and declare I'm the healed of the Lord. I'm going to say the same thing he said. Because if I hear him, I see it. If I see it, I say it. And then when I say it, I can get up and put legs on it. And I can begin to do what God says to me. So in order for your life to be filled with activity that brings pleasure to God, you got to begin with hearing something. And in hearing you see and in seeing you say and when you say then you begin to do hallelujah god said in in exodus chapter 15 verse number 36 he said if you be diligent to heed the voice of the lord to do what is right in his sight i will take this sickness and disease from the midst of you i'll work if you'll hear and do Hallelujah. I'm going to make really walking with Jesus very simple today. Here's, here's, how it walk, here's how it works. You hear and you obey. You say, no, no, no. I thought there was like 15 steps. No, no, no. It's very simple. You hear and you obey. When God speaks, you obey what God says to you. An example of that, when we talk about prayer, I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying now. When we talk about prayer, James refers to the guy that is known by his prayer life is the guy Elijah, the prophet Elijah. And the Bible says this about Elijah. This is so very important. Don't miss this. Because Elijah was not some glow-in-the-dark spiritual superstar. The Bible says Elijah was a man like we are, with like passions, in other words, he had the same noise distraction you and I have. But he learned how to cut through the noise, cancel the noise, so he could hear the voice of God. And Elijah shows up one day to a, to a king named Ahab and his wife named Jezebel, and he just makes this bold statement. In fact, the Bible says nobody, nobody knows where Elijah came from. He's a Tishbite. That's what the Bible calls him, a Tishbite. Nobody knows where that is from. Come on, somebody. Elijah the Tishbite. And it's like, well, that, that could be like, you know, it's not like the Mennonites or the Methodists. It's, it's Elijah the Tishbite. Nobody knows where he's from. So he just shows up out of nowhere and he says to the king, uh, it's not going to rain till I say so. 
God sent me to tell you it's not going to rain. Watch this. Till I say so. Wow. And then he disappears again. But the problem is, how many of you know if you're the king, you sit there and go, that some nut just showed up in my house and said it ain't going to rain till he says so, and then disappears. You don't think no more about it until three months later and the rainy season comes and there's no clouds in the sky. And then you start thinking, Where's that, where, who is that dude that showed up here saying it ain't going to rain till he says so? And then all of a sudden year one passes and it's not rained. And then year two passes and it's not rained. And the king now is beginning to look for him. And people get like inside information, like his intelligence force is said, well, he's over here in this place and he's over here in that place. And then when the king's army shows up to get him, to bring him back for conversation, he's not there. So they can't find him. And now we're in three years and it's never rained. Now we just sort of read that like, oh, well, yeah, it's just sort of, it happens every day. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, how many of you know that sort of shakes the world up? All of a sudden, three years is over, and Elijah shows up one morning where the king's servant is preparing some things, and he says, go tell Ahab, I want to talk to him. (laughs) And the guy looks back at Elijah and says, I'm not going to do that. Because every time we've looked for you, you have disappeared. And as soon as I go tell Ahab, you're here, he's going to come here, you're not going to be here, and he's going to cut my head off. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And so Elijah has to swear to him by God's name, I won't leave, I'll be here. So I'll pick it up in verse number 16 of 1 Kings 18. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah said, I've not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have, because you've abandoned the Lord's commands and you followed the idols of Baal. Now summons the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Jezebel must have had a long table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. Here's the crazy part. How many of you know there comes a time when the nation can be under such turmoil that people become almost numb? Because the Bible says, and the people said nothing. He asked them, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? And they didn't have one anymore. I'm just tired of it. I don't care. They answered nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. So get two bulls for us. Let the prophets, Baal prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces, put it on the wood, but don't set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wool, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. 
How many of you know the nation was in a crisis moment? The prophet of God decided to take all the influencers, which were the prophets. He's going to take all the influencers to a place of a prayer meeting. It's amazing what you prove at a prayer meeting. He didn't take them to the halls of Congress. He didn't take them to the legislature. He didn't take them to the debate school. He took them to a prayer meeting. If we're going to find out who's God, let's go to the place of prayer. Because we're not going to prove who God is on CNN, Fox News, or any other news channel. That's not going to prove who God is. Somebody's got to get to a prayer meeting to find out where is the God that answers. The deciding factor was not who prayed. The deciding factor was who answered. I ain't got no help. I'm about to run across this stage by myself. I said the deciding factor was who answered. There's a lot of prayer that went on, but only one God answered. It's verse number 25. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. How many of you know when you have confidence in God, you can let your enemies go first? You go first. Since there's so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. And they took the bull and it was given to them. They prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us. They shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Uh, Maybe shout louder. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's in deep thought busy or maybe he's traveling maybe he's sleeping and needs to be awakened in actual hebrew here they, the 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 english people that translate the bible really wanted to be very kind actually one of the words here literally means he's probably in the john give him just a minute so they shouted louder slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until blood flowed And midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But watch this. There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Why did nobody answer? And why did nobody respond? And why did nobody pay attention? Because nobody was there. When you keep praying to an idol, an idol is insufficient to try to answer the need you're requesting. It has no power. Listen, Isaiah said it this way, and Jeremiah said it also. If you have to pick your idol up and carry it, it is never going to be able to carry you. And if you're having to support your God, your God can never support you. So you have to find a God that is bigger than you are, who can carry you, who doesn't needs you who is sufficient without us then that God can answer and supply everything we need somebody shout hallelujah I'm telling you the church world is beginning to seek idols that we have to sustain (laughs) 
Well, if we don't fight, it won't be sustained. I'm here to announce to you, ladies and gentlemen, that I want to be a part of a kingdom that's greater than anything I can keep alive. I want to be a part of a kingdom that has a king that shall never die. So they shouted, they danced. Sounds like a charismatic church service. They even got to the point they cut themselves. Nothing. And then Elijah said, my turn. My turn. And when it became his turn, he did two very simple things. The Bible says he repaired the altar which had been torn down. Let me tell you what an altar is. An altar is a place you connect with God. That's what an altar is. It's not the front of a building. A lot of people came to the front of a building and never made a connection with God. An altar is a place you connect with God. And so my question today is, What connection needs to be repaired in your life? It's not just about rebuilding my devotional time in the morning. It's about where do I rebuild my connection? Because God said, From the days of Moses until today, he said, I will meet you at that place. I'll meet you at the altar. I'll meet you there. Hmm? And the second thing he did is the Bible says he gathered 12 stones. Watch this. Don't miss this. 12 stones. From the 12 tribes of Israel whom the word of the Lord had come to. In other words, he built his altar out of things that had been proven. He didn't try some newfangled, faddish thing to get some new thrill. He said, I'm going to go get 12 stones for whom the word of the Lord had come. Past tense. It had worked in their life. And I put the 12 stones back together. Listen, maybe God's not after. We are so attracted to the novelty of new that oftentimes we run past the places of provenness. Because we're attracted to something that's new and faddish to keep the appetite we have for change that really doesn't transform. That we keep trying to find new things to make things attractive when maybe in reality is we need to go back and find what is the things God proved. When David got ready to kill a giant, he didn't go with all the new shiny armor. He said to King Saul, he said, I can't go with what I've not proven. 
So the only thing I've been able to prove is a slingshot. It may not be the newest technology, but I've proven it. This I know's worked in my life. And then he said to them, go get water. And he said, pour water all over the altar. Now remember, he said the God that answers by fire. He said, soak the altar with water. Not once, not twice, but three times. What's the deal about water? Do you really think Elijah was saying, I want to make this really hard for God? Let, let me really see if he's as strong as he thinks he is. I'm going to wet the wood to see if he can really light it. Come on, are you kidding me? If, if God hadn't been very specific that day, he'd have burnt the whole nation up. The issue of water had nothing to do with trying to make it difficult for God. He wasn't trying to prove how strong God was. Remember, for three years it had not rained. The most precious commodity that people possessed was the little bit of water that was left. And so Elijah was saying this, this nation is desperate for God to show himself strong. So I'll take the thing that is of most precious to me and pour it out on an altar before him so he'll recognize that my confidence is not in my ability to store water. water. My confidence is in the God who is able to supply water out of a rock, who can make a cloud the size of a man's hand, bring forth what's necessary to produce for a nation. I'm here to say to somebody at the gate church today, maybe what God is saying, if our nation our family, our individual lives would ever get desperate enough that we'd be willing to pour out the things that we think are most precious, we would see God answer from heaven in ways like has never been answered before. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Is anybody in the building ready to say, God, whatever it takes, I want to hear from heaven. Hallelujah. So that means my time is not as precious as hearing your voice. My sleep doesn't matter as much as hearing you. My money means nothing compared to your favor. So they poured out the water. In verse 36, and at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Now watch this. Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you're God in Israel and that I am your servant. Watch this. And that I have done all these things at your command. In other words, watch this. He's only praying for those who are standing by listening because he had prayed before he got there and he had heard something before he got there. 
He's saying, God, would you let these people know that I've been hearing you all along and everything I've done, I've done because I heard the voice of the Lord tell me to do it. And would you now prove that I've been hearing you by showing up and answering me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you're turning their hearts back again. Elijah said, I heard, I saw, I said, and I did. (laughs) I heard the Lord say, go tell them it ain't going to rain. So I showed up and said, it ain't going to rain. And guess what? It didn't rain. And then I heard the Lord say, go show yourself to Ahab again and tell him I'm about to show myself strong. I showed up. I told Ahab. He told me how to prepare the altar. I did what he told me. And God has now shown himself to be who he said he was. I'm here to announce to you, he's about to show up at your house. He's about to show up in your kids. He's about to show up in your business. He's about to show up in your body. Because if you and I will say, God, I will do what you tell me, he will answer. Come on, team. Now listen, there's some theologians to try and convince us that God doesn't speak to people anymore. They just came too late. Because John chapter 10, verse number three, Jesus himself said, my sheep listen to my voice. He said, another voice they won't follow. You know, I used to ask people, what church do you go to? But I realized today, I realized today in the, in the world we're living in today, people don't go to church anymore. They, they're at home. They're watching 14 different people on Sunday morning. 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. They flip between sermons. So I don't ask people anymore, where do you go to church? I ask them this, who's your pastor? Because if you had not got a pastor, you're not yet really walking with Christ. Because if you've not been attached to a voice, then you're in trouble. So the question today is, not can you pray, the question is, can you hear? Can you cancel the noise enough to hear? You say, well, Bishop, is his voice audible? It can be. Most often it's not. Most often it's that internal knowing, that impression that says, do this. Or that voice behind you that says, call them. Forgive them. Reach out to this person. That voice said, I was one day buying a piece of property for a church in the state of Virginia. And I'm standing talking to the real estate agent, and it was an old historical site that came up for sale. And we, for the church we were looking at, we, we needed property to build a new building. It was a 120-acre, actually, plantation in northern Virginia. Had a Civil War mansion on it. And the guy was only wanting to sell it all. And all of it was going to be several million dollars. I didn't need all of it. I didn't want the big house, the barns. 
I just asked him, I'd ask him to sell me 10 or 12 acres on the corner, on the four lane to build a church. And he said to me, he said, he said, Reverend, he said, I realize you're trying to buy a piece of property for this building that you want. But he said, this, this place is going to sell in a matter of a couple of weeks. I mean, it's, it's being advertised all over America, literally all over the world. It's a prime piece of property outside of D.C. And I'm standing there and I'm talking to this agent who represents a international real estate firm. I mean, these guys sell $50 and $100 million pieces of property. And I hear a voice inside of me say, tell him he's not going to be able to sell it till you say so. And I just... I just start continuing to negotiate. I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know how to say that. But I hear that voice again. And I said to him, I said, sir, can I just say something to you before we leave? Because he said, listen, this is done. If you don't want it all, we're not going to sell any of it. We're not going to break it up. We're not going to resurvey it. I said, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm just going to tell you something. I said, I'm a servant of God. You know that. He said, well, I know you by reputation. I said, well, let me tell you what God said to me that I'm going to say to you. I now, this property, this 120 acres is now bound up and tied up. And you won't sell one piece of it until you give me the privilege of buying what I want to buy. And when I can buy what I want to buy, you'll sell the rest of it and get more money than you had to begin with. He looked at me and laughed out loud. He said, I appreciate your, your faith, but that's just not going to happen. Two months later, he called me and he said, what if we split it in half and sell you 60 acres? I said, no, sir, I'm not, I'm not interested in 60 acres. I want 10 or 12 acres. He said, that ain't going to happen. Six months later, he called me and he said, what did you do? I said, what do you mean? What did I do? This is true. This is, this is unbelievable. He said, I had a man fly in from California on his G5 jet with a personal cashier's check for $13 million to buy everything made out to me because he'd agreed to the deal said he slid the check across the table at the closing and when he took his hand off of it it was like somebody shocked him with electricity he put his hand back on the check and took it back and said oh i can't oh no i can't buy this he said i just had the most horrible feeling i felt like i was dying when i released that check and he said i pulled the check back and he said the guy the guy backed out of the deal he said he lost fifty thousand dollars in a down payment but he just said i can't do it i feel like i'll die if i take that if i if i let that go wow I said, well, you could go on and sell it next week if you'd go on to sell me what I want to buy. We went 14 months. Multiple people backed out of sales. He called me one day and he said, listen, I'm going to resurvey this property because I'm going to get you off my back. 
He said, because my boss is saying, why is that piece of property not moved? And I have no explanation for why it's not moved. He said, how much do you want? I said, I want 10 to 12 acres. He called me back in three days and said, we've resurveyed it. We got 11.3 acres on, the, on that north corner. It's right on the four lane excess off of there. Is that going to satisfy you? I said, yes, sir, it will. He said, okay, bring me a check. I took him a check. I bought the 11.3 acres. And in five days, he sold the rest of the property for more money than he sold the whole property that he asked in the beginning. You say, how does that happen? It happens because the Bible says this, today if you hear his voice don't harden your heart in other words don't not do anything with it when you hear him you respond you do something with what you hear people say to me all the time bishop i don't believe god talks to me and my response i try to be as pastoral as i can my response is no god's always talking but what happens is the more he talks to you and the less you respond to what he tells you, the more calloused your heart becomes to the part you don't think he's talking to you anymore. Because the reality is he's always talking. Maybe you're hardening your heart. Of all the years I've preached from this passage of scripture, I never saw this till this week. I'm going to ask the guys upstairs, if you will, put verse 36 back up on the screen for me. If you will, real quickly. If the guys upstairs can put verse 36 up on the screen. Look at this. Next verse. No, excuse me. Go back to the first part. Go back to the first part of 36. That's the second part. Go back to the first part of 36. Yep. At the, say this with me, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah. Get this. I'm sitting in my office. I'm saying, God, we need to hear you. The gate church needs to hear you. There are families in the gate church that need to hear you. There are people online need to hear God and the Lord said at the time of sacrifice Elijah stepped forward and my question today to you is this this is the time for us to sacrifice who's gonna step up who's gonna step up you know what? We have prayer on Tuesday morning at 6.30. You say, my Lord, I got to go to work. You know what that means? That means you have to get up early, get your makeup on, get your hair done, get to church so that when we finish at 7.30, you can get to work. You say, I got kids to get to school. Do you know what Kathy and I did? We brought our kids and let them sleep on the pew. And from prayer, took them to church, took them to school. Do you realize this house, this one, in its roots have went through seasons where there were 12, 13, 15 weeks where people came every morning at 6 a.m. to pray and hundreds of people gathered here. I spoke to a room full of young millennial leaders not long ago and I said, I don't know if I'd want to start with some of you guys. 
Because at the time of sacrifice, I'm not sure you'd step up. But the reality is, there came a time for a sacrifice. And Elijah said, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to step up. I'm going to step into it. And I want you to hear, listen to me. You're not going to hear this on a podcast because nobody preaches this stuff anymore. But the reality is, if your children need to be born again, it's time to step up. If there's an addiction in your household, it's time to step up. If you got a bad doctor's report that could take your life out from you, it's time to step up and say, you know what? Nothing is more important to me than the fact that I hear the voice of God. I want to be one of those people that at the time of sacrifice, I step up because I want to know what God is saying to me in the middle of it. Jesus said, I heard this, I heard this in my office. He said, if the gate will step up, I will answer from heaven and I will show myself strong on their behalf. Businesses will be blessed. Marriages will be realigned. People will be put in order. Relationships will be restored. Bodies will be healed. Diseases will be run out of your house. But there has to be a determination. I am going to step forward at the time of sacrifice. Come on, would you get on your feet all over the building? We're going to turn this into a prayer moment. worship team is going to continue to sing there are people already at this altar at the front people are laid out people are kneeling I'm going to open this place for prayer we're going to turn this room into a prayer room those of you that are online if you want to stay with us the worship team is going to continue to worship as we begin this week we're beginning this week as spiritual activists but we believe that change takes place in the heavenlies 
when the people of God take their place to hear the voice of God in prayer. We're going to connect with God. If you want to come forward, I think there's many of you would like to. I want you to come, find a place to pray. Let's worship. If you need to leave, I understand. I hope you'll join us on Tuesday morning at 6.30. Thursday morning at 6.30 and Friday night for prayer. I love you, church. This is a week to seek the Lord until he be found. Come on, let's worship.